welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 60. There must be 50 ways to leave your little people. Leave them dead, disabled or injured, that is. And with apologies to Paul Simon. In last week's podcast episode, The Great Australian Die-Off, I discussed the alarming increase in excess mortality, that is deaths above the expected level in a given population over a given time period, that has occurred in Australia since the rollout of the experimental RNA transfection agents that were falsely marketed to the public as vaccines began. As I noted in that episode, there was no excess mortality in Australia in the pre-injection phase of the declared COVID-19 pandemic. Furthermore, Martin Neal and Norman Fenton's analysis of data from around the world indicates that neither COVID itself, nor long COVID, nor lockdowns, nor rationing of healthcare services can explain the excess mortality seen in the 30-odd countries for which they could obtain adequate data on each variable. I strongly encourage you to read their article called The Devil's Advocate, an Exploratory Analysis of 2022 Excess Mortality, which I've linked in the post accompanying this podcast episode before listening to the rest of this episode, as that article neatly dispenses with the pathetic non-explanations for excess mortality that the legacy media have vomited up in service of their corporate masters. I've linked a couple of particularly egregious examples of this non-journalism in the post accompanying this podcast episode. There's a pathetic waste of cyber characters from that former bastion of journalistic integrity, the Sydney Morning Herald, a piece of scintillating stenography from the Canberra Weekly, which I could roughly summarise as, we asked the TGA if the jabs are killing people, and they said, nah, of course not, and a remarkably fact-free fact-check from the trusted news initiative's bottom-shelf hall, the ABC. Of course, the fact that jab-happy nations are racking up excess mortality, whereas largely unjabbed Africa has shrugged off COVID while racking up lower excess mortality than Eurasia and the Americas, does not prove that the experimental transfection agents are responsible for the unexpected deaths. As I discussed in my earlier post, if the COVID-19 injections work, why are more people dying? Part 2. The Bradford Hill Criteria, otherwise known as Hill's Criteria for Causality, are used to distinguish causal from non-causal associations between phenomena. Here are those criteria. Number 1. The strength of association. The stronger the association, the more likely it is that the relation is causal. Number 2. Temporal relationship. The exposure always precedes the outcome. Number three, consistency. The association is consistent when results are replicated with different people under different circumstances and with different measurement instruments. Number four, theoretical plausibility. It is easier to accept an association as causal when there is a rational and theoretical basis for such a conclusion. Number five, coherence. The association should be compatible with existing theory, hypotheses and knowledge. Number six, specificity. In the ideal situation, the effect has only one cause. However, in practice, an effect may have multiple contributing causes. For example, a genetic predisposition to lung cancer may combine with cigarette smoking and low intake of cancer-preventing nutrients to result in lung cancer. Number seven, dose-response relationship. An increasing amount of exposure increases the risk. Number eight, experimental evidence. Any related research that is based on experiments will make a causal inference more plausible. And number nine, analogy. Sometimes a commonly accepted phenomenon in one area can be applied to another area. Back when I wrote that earlier article, far less was known about biologically plausible mechanisms by which the transfection agents could cause injury and death. 
These, of course, are required to fulfil criteria number four. In the ensuing year since I wrote that article, many scientific papers have been published and many more yet-to-be-published papers have been uploaded to preprint servers, which elucidate those mechanisms. No doubt more will become evident in the months and years to come, so I will update the post that accompanies this podcast episode as new information comes in. Importantly, the accumulating body of evidence on mechanisms of harm dispenses with the hand-waving arguments quoted in the RMIT ABC fact-check that I linked in the post accompanying this podcast episode, namely that the excess non-COVID deaths couldn't possibly have been caused by the safe and effective vaccines, registered trademark, because they were attributed to dementia, cancer, ischemic heart disease, cerebrovascular diseases, and infectious diseases other than COVID-19, and as for the historically unprecedented number of deaths attributed to, quote, unspecified diseases, end quote. The Australian Actuaries Institute's spokesmuppet, Karen Cutter, dismisses these with the airheaded claim that, quote, this is a large catch-all category, end quote, from which it is difficult to draw conclusions. Well, yeah, it's very difficult to draw conclusions about whether someone's death was caused by an RNA transfection agent if you don't utilise the correct procedures during autopsy or you don't autopsy them at all. By the way, if you're interested in watching some very detailed presentations on how to detect spike protein generated by the transfection agents and the immune reaction to them during an autopsy and how to distinguish this from the effects of infection with SARS-CoV-2, you can watch the videos that I've linked in the post accompanying this podcast episode. So let's run through some of those mechanisms of harm. Mechanism number one, impaired immune function. By now, many people have seen a graph that was included in a study of Cleveland Clinic healthcare workers, which shows a clear dose-response relationship between COVID-19 shots and the risk of getting COVID-19, namely the more injections, the more infections. And if you haven't seen that chart, I'd thoroughly encourage you to take a look at the post accompanying this podcast episode because it really is crystal clear. The Cleveland Clinic study confirms many people's anecdotal observations that their multiply jabbed friends are not just getting COVID, whatever that means, every second Tuesday, they're also picking up all manner of other infections. Meanwhile, those who either decided against receiving any experimental injections or called it quits after the initial series are remaining remarkably unscathed. Several papers elucidating mechanisms of immune suppression that could explain these phenomena have been published. Firstly, a seminal paper published in March 2022 titled Immune Imprinting, Breadth of Variant Recognition and Germinal Center Response in Human SARS-CoV-2 Infection and Vaccination found that people who got infected with SARS-CoV-2 initially mounted an immune response tailored to the particular variant that infected them and then developed a broad immunological response to viral variants over several months post-infection. However, the immune systems of people who had received an mRNA transfection agent were locked in to producing useless antibodies against the original, but now extinct, Wuhan variant of SARS-CoV-2, rendering them susceptible to being reinfected over and over again with new variants of the virus. These reinfections repeatedly expose them to the hazards of the virus's spike protein, and even worse, both mRNA from the experimental injections and spike protein stimulated by them was found in the germinal centres of lymph nodes for up to two months post-injection, after which testing stopped. Secondly, an article published in June 2022 titled Innate Immune Suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA Vaccinations, the Role of G-Quadruplexes, Exosomes and MicroRNAs reports that the mRNA transfection agents suppress type 1 interferon response, resulting in impairment of innate immunity, the body's first-line defense against both viruses and bacteria. 
In other words, impertinate immunity increases susceptibility not just to repeated bouts of COVID-19, but to other infectious agents such as RSV, influenza and strep A. That triple-demic of flu, COVID and RSV that the Mockingbird media have been incessantly squawking about may well have been brought on by suppression of type 1 interferon, as may the disappearance of viral interference that held flu and RSV in check when SARS-CoV-2 first emerged. Thirdly, the immune system's ability to suppress the herpes zoster virus is also impaired by mRNA transfection agents. Herpes zoster virus causes chickenpox on first exposure and then reverts to a latent form inside nerve cells. Immune suppression can trigger it to re-emerge in later life as shingles. Not only can shingles itself be fatal, especially in older age groups, but it is also associated with a higher long-term risk of a major cardiovascular event. In August 2022, an article titled Real-World Evidence from Over 1 Million COVID-19 Vaccinations is Consistent with Reactivation of the Varicella Zoster Virus found an 80% higher risk of developing shingles in people who had received a COVID-19 injection. And finally, a preprint posted in September 2022 called Correlates of Protection, Viral Load Trajectories and Symptoms in BA1, BA1.1 and BA2 Breakthrough Infections in Triple Vaccinated Healthcare Workers notes that 22% of 368 Swedish healthcare workers developed an infection with the Omicron variant within four weeks of receiving an mRNA booster and that most participants had a persistently high viral load and showed delayed clearance of the virus, indicating not only that their immune system was struggling to vanquish it, but also that they were still infectious for up to nine days after first testing positive on a quantitative PCR test. To summarise, a growing body of evidence shows that COVID-19 transfection agents impair immune function in ways that increase susceptibility to infection with SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses and decrease the immune system's ability to suppress latent viruses. Those who wish to argue that the excess deaths seen in Australia and overseas are at least partly due to after-effects of COVID-19 and the re-emergence of influenza need to reckon with the fact that the transfection agents are causing people to become repeatedly reinfected with SARS-CoV-2 and to be more susceptible to infection with other viruses. Mechanism number two, extensive damage to the cardiovascular system. A review article published in November 2022 titled Clinical Cardiovascular Emergencies and the Cellular Basis of COVID-19 Vaccination from Dream to Reality sifted through data from published case reports, studies and pharmacovigilance databases to compile a comprehensive list of adverse effects of the experimental transfection agents on the heart, blood vessels and cellular components of blood. These damaging impacts include incitement of pro-inflammatory immune cells and or generation of self-antibodies, that is, an autoimmune reaction, to cells of the heart muscle and the fluid-filled sac that surrounds it, leading to myocarditis and pericarditis. Myocarditis may lead to cardiac arrest, the sudden loss of all heart activity due to an irregular heart rhythm. Abnormal clotting with or without depletion of platelets, that's thrombosis and thrombocytopenia, through induction of antibodies against clotting factors and inflammatory cytokines, platelet activation and aggregation, increased vascular permeability, that's blood vessel leakiness, and activation of the endothelial cells that line blood vessels. Thrombotic events can also lead to heart attacks and strokes. Interaction of spike protein generated by the transfection agents with ACE2 receptors causing hypertensive crisis, a sudden and dramatic elevation of blood pressure, 
Hypersensitivity reactions to excipients, that is substances other than the active drug, leading to Kuhner's syndrome, an acute coronary syndrome in which a severe allergic response shuts down blood supply to the heart muscle by causing coronary vessels to go into spasm, atherosclerotic plaque to abruptly erode, and stents to occlude or block up with mast cells and or eosinophils, that is types of white blood cells. This constellation of pathologies can lead to a myocardial infarction or heart attack. Induction of arrhythmias, that is abnormal heart rhythms, including tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, sinus tachycardia, and supraventricular tachycardia, along with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or POTS. One potential cause of these arrhythmias is an autoimmune response against adrenergic receptors in the cardiovascular system. And finally, a systemic inflammatory reaction that sensitizes patients to catecholamines, that is acute stress hormones, leading to tachycardia cardiomyopathy also known as stress cardiomyopathy or, more colloquially, broken heart syndrome. This condition manifests in a sudden, temporary weakening of the muscular portion of the heart. It confers a nearly 10% risk of major cardiac events such as heart attack, stroke and heart failure and a 5.6% patient mortality rate per year. The authors of this review article provided a handy-dandy chart summarising all the fun and exciting ways that the experimental transfection agents can damage your cardiovascular system, and I've reproduced that chart in the post accompanying this podcast episode. I'd encourage you to take a look. At the end of their discussion of the transfection agents' association with cardiac arrest and death, the authors make a summary statement, which you should read and reread several times, slowly, to let it sink in. Quote, Given the observed mortality, recommendations for vaccination in the elderly, aged over 80 years, should be reconsidered. In patients with multimorbidity in a suboptimal situation before vaccination, vaccine drug and vaccine disease interactions in polypharmacy users might have contributed to worsened health outcomes. The general vaccination response and potential immune stimulation might be sufficient to trigger decompensation of underlying diseases and prompt death. End of quote. In other words, the people whom we're told are in gravest need of the experimental transfection agents because they are at the highest risk of a severe outcome of SARS-CoV-2 infection are also at the highest risk of being fatally injured by the jabs. Do you see now how utterly duplicitous it is for Professor Tom Marwick, director of the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute, to wave away the excess deaths as just an escalation of a pre-existing burden of cardiovascular risk factors, or for the Australian Actuaries Institute's Karen Cutter to insist that the injections couldn't possibly be causing excess deaths because most of those deaths are occurring in the elderly, whereas the majority of young and middle-aged adults, whereas the majority of young and middle-aged adults got jabbed too. Even if one accepts their argument that COVID-19 itself is causing increased cardiovascular deaths because of the damaging effects of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein on the heart and blood vessels, let's remember that the risk of infection with currently circulating strains of the virus is increased in a stepwise fashion the more jabs one submits to. Whichever way you try to slice and dice it, either directly or indirectly, the injections are causing excess cardiovascular deaths. Mechanism number three, impaired synthesis of regulatory proteins. The authors of the paper that I cited previously, Innate Immune Suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA Vaccinations, the role of G-quadruplexes, exosomes, and microRNAs, also noted that they have identified, quote, potential profound disturbances in regulatory control of protein synthesis and cancer surveillance, end quote, triggered by the large amounts of spike protein production induced by the injections. These disturbances could, quote, potentially have a causal link to neurodegenerative disease, myocarditis, immune thrombocytopenia, Bell's palsy, liver disease, 
impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, and tumorigenesis, end quote. In other words, by messing with the body's normal patterns of response to infection, the mRNA injection set off a cascade of harmful effects that ripples throughout virtually every system of the body. But is there evidence that this is indeed happening? The authors found an unprecedentedly high number of reports of each condition mentioned in the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, or VAERS, the US Vaccine Pharmacovigilance Tool. In addition, Case reports of these types of injuries are increasingly appearing in the medical literature, such as the report of a 60-year-old doctor who developed lymphoma in his left cervical lymph nodes five months after completing his primary series of Pfizer transfection agents in his left deltoid muscle, only to experience rapid development of cancerous lesions in his right armpit and neck within eight days of receiving a Pfizer booster in his right deltoid. And I've reproduced in the post accompanying this podcast episode PET scans of this poor unfortunate man showing the blossoming of his tumours after his so-called vaccine booster. In conclusion, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or TGA, asserts that it is, quote, false and unscientific to automatically conclude that vaccines cause these excess deaths, end quote. I agree. Each unexpected death should be thoroughly investigated by unbiased experts rather than being airily dismissed as sudden adult death syndrome, which we're now all supposed to believe is incredibly common. Somehow we just didn't notice before that perfectly healthy young and middle-aged people were abruptly dropping dead in the midst of their daily activities or going to sleep and never waking up. And you can see Mark Crispin Miller's excellent substack for a gut-wrenching weekly compendium of reports of these died suddenly deaths from all over the world. Subject to permission of the deceased's family, an autopsy should be conducted on each of these deaths using the protocol developed by experienced German pathologist Dr. Arne Borchardt. This protocol includes immunohistochemistry to detect the spike and nuclear capsid proteins of SARS-CoV-2, which distinguishes infection from inoculation as a cause of death, and to detect infiltration of tissues by specific immune cells that respond to components of the injections. When the TGA insists that, quote, there is no credible evidence to suggest that COVID-19 vaccines have contributed to excess deaths in Australia or overseas, end quote, I can only assume that they are, like Admiral Nelson, holding the telescope up to their blind eye. Nelson's recklessness won battles. The TGA's is costing thousands of Australian lives. Despite all the obfuscation, misdirection and outright lying of the government, its media mouthpieces and even trade associations like the Australian Actuaries Institute, there are far more proven mechanisms by which the COVID-19 transfection agents damage, disable and kill than ways that Paul Simon came up with for leaving your lover. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover 50 ways to leave your lover you just slip out the back, Jack Make a new plan, stand You don't need to be coy, Roy Just get yourself free or Hop on the bus, Gus You don't need to discuss much Just drop off the key, leave And get yourself free Ooh, slip out the back, Jack Make a new plan, stand You don't need to be coy, Roy You just listen to me Hop on the bus, Gus you don't need to discuss much Just drop off the key And get yourself free The fact that the agency charged with ensuring that the medicines Australians take are safe and effective shows no interest whatsoever 
in investigating the historically unprecedented tsunami of injuries and deaths that has occurred since the so-called vaccine rollout began, speaks volumes on whom they really serve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.